Welcome to episode 98 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, our guest is Lance Jones. Lance leads the web design and optimization team for Intuit's global division. Hi, Lance. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Thanks. So, Lance, the, 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 the reason we were really excited to have you on the show is that you are a uh, super guru when it comes to optimization and A-B and multivariate testing. And that's something that w- Justin and I have been talking a lot about on recent shows and it seems to be the more we learn about it it seems to be a not necessarily a very simple thing to do that there's a lot to it and it's not just like oh i'm gonna create a few pages and then just a b test them and see which one's better and then i'm kind of done so i guess to start what i'd like to hear about is from your perspective what is what is testing? What are all the different aspects of testing and, and why do you do them? And the order that you do them in, because you, you, just before the show, you were mentioning that um, it, there was surveys involved, which is something that we haven't really discussed before. That would be interesting to hear about that as well. Yeah, so give us, give us yeah. we, what we need here is, is testing 101. You know, there's there's been a real uh, proliferation of, of interest in testing over the last, say, three years. Uh, I think Offermatica was one of the first uh, tools. Jonathan Mendez, if I'm not mistaken, was the creator of Offermatica. And, and that was one of the first popular A-B testing tools A-B, uh, or multivariate testing tools. And a Google Website Optimizer came in sort of after that. And then Omniture got interested in this space and they ended up buying out um, Jonathan's company, Operamatica, and since then, there's been a real explosion, I think, in, in tools that uh, website uh, owners and, and uh, startup founders can use to improve their site, to optimize their site, optimize it for conversion, and that can mean lots of things, right? Uh, conversion doesn't have to mean a sale. It can mean, uh, you know, just getting an answer to a question. If it's like a, a site like Quora, for example, um, conversion can be defined in lots of different ways. But uh, there's a ton of tools out there right now that people can use, and I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of confusion about what, when to use what tools, uh, what they're particularly good at. And if you don't sort this stuff out and if you don't figure out a process for how to optimize, you just end up wasting a lot of time. Because uh, this stuff can really, uh, really suck up a lot of time trying to figure this stuff out, and trying tools takes time. And so, I was excited that you guys wanted to chat about that uh, on today's show and get an understanding for uh, for how it all works. So, um, you know, if you like, I can just run through quickly what the process um, I use at Intuit is. What What is the process? I mean, that'd be very interesting. The first thing after you've you've uh, you figured out what your, your goals are for the site. So, what it is you want people to do? What are those conversion goals or those key performance indicators? Um, the first thing you have to do is figure out, well, what are people actually doing on your site or with your application, right? You need to understand the behavior that's going on before you can do anything else. And so there's a, a set of tools out there, um, web analytics tools, and you guys have talked about them on the show. There's you know Clicky and there's Google Analytics and Crazy Egg and Performable. These all allow you to see uh, what users are doing on, on your site and, and, and what's the key. It's, it allows you to see um, how they're behaving. 
the next step beyond that is, is understanding why they're doing what they're doing. What's behind the behavior? So, um, you know, this is a whole different set of tools that you can use to understand the whys behind what people are doing. Uh, and these are, like you say, Justin, survey tools and feedback tools. And you've got, you know, iPerceptions has a, a tool and a 4Q. And there's a um, um, company, Kiss Insights, that lets you do these quick pop-up surveys and usertesting.com that lets you get videos of how people are using the site and talking about how they're using the site. And that all these tools let you get behind uh, or get an understanding of, of why they're doing what they're doing. And if, if, because if you, the next step is about actually changing the behavior uh, through testing. And if you, if you get the why wrong, you can waste a lot of time trying to change the behavior. You don't change the behavior in the desirable way. You can actually take people off track. You can make things worse on your site if you're not careful. So if you get the what right and you get the why right, it makes things really easy for the third step, which is changing visitor behavior. And that's where you do uh, A-B testing, multivariate testing. And again, there's a slew of applications for that, you know, optimizely unbalanced visual website optimizer google website optimizer and and these are the tools that let you change user behavior does that make sense yeah, and, and is it because once you've got the what and the why then it gives you an you're not just randomly changing stuff you've actually got an idea of why you're going to change stuff so your multivariate testing is planned multivariate testing rather than just random is that correct? Yeah, it's that's exactly right. I mean, it's it, it, I think of uh, I guess uh, conversion or sales conversion as uh, like a dartboard, and it's not hard to hit hit the dartboard, but there's a big difference between you know getting on the outside of the dartboard to a bullseye, and um, what you, understanding the what and the why lets you come up with smart tests and get closer to the bullseye, right? So what you want to do with testing, it's it's a science um, and, and art too, but you want to come up with a hypothesis. So you you have you want to say before before you run the test, here's what we think is going to happen. Here's what's happening on the site. We want to change it to be this. And if we modify these parts of our page, our homepage, or of this form, we think it'll do X. And then you run the test and you validate X. Is your hypothesis correct or not? And if you're right, great, you move on and try to optimize further. If you're wrong, it's still okay because that's learning. You know what not to do. You know that, that your hypothesis was incorrect and you try a different hypothesis. So it, it just it, you just get really smart. Uh, you can be a lot smarter about the whole process if you have a hypothesis. Yeah. Okay, because, no, okay, so we have three stages. We have the stage one is what are they doing, and those you describe as analytics tools. Stage, it's step two, um, which is the why, which are survey and feedback tools, and step three are testing tools, which are your A-B and multivariate testing. So yes. if, we, if we go through an example here and we say, okay, you're building a web app, and you, you're trying to create customers out of your site, out of the visitors to your site, right? Some are going to sign up for, you know, a free trial or a free account if it's like a freemium. And you're trying to get people either to A, just sign up for some kind of an account, a free account or a trial. And then later you're trying to get people to get those people who are using the free or the trial to become paid users. Okay. So if, if that's sort of your, um, your, your, your simple case, um, you know, what, what would you, if I, if, I, if I came to you and I said, all right, Lance, help me out here. You know, this is my, you know, whatever, my productive, let's say, let's say I have some kind of fancy new to-do list type of thing. Yeah. And, I, and I have like a paid account. I mean, what would we do first if, if you were sort of going to walk me through this? 
Well, you mean to, to, to try to understand whether things are working or not, right? On the site? Yeah, okay, so I come here, I, I, I've, spent, I've, I've spent a few months, I've built this little thing, I got, you know, 20 or 50 users, I'm starting to write some blog posts and drive some traffic, yeah. and ultimately my goal is to create a, a paying customer base that yeah. I can actually make some real revenue from, right? Wouldn't you do what he just said? Right. Well, I want to go through. Yeah. It's like I, he is, but I want to go through very specifically. I want to go through like yeah. a specific use case. Okay? okay, not just sort of in gen general terms, because I know a lot of our listeners are going to be looking at. Okay, great. So you've described a bunch of tools. Let's mm. kind of go through more specifically, like how this might actually work. Okay. So basically, yeah. the first tool being Google Analytics. What do we look at in Google Analytics? Which, tool? Yeah. yeah. Right. Because he said there's Google Analytics, Clicky, Crazy Egg, Mixed Panel, and Performable are the five that he sort of mentioned. If we focused on Google yeah. Analytics, I mean every. Most sure. people have used that, right? So what, what are you looking for in Google Analytics when you're looking at that site? Yeah, so the, I mean, so you set up Google Analytics, you, uh, you paste the, the JavaScript code on the site, and, uh, and you, you put it somewhere where it's going to be uh, on every page. So you put it in a, some kind of global file, your footer or your header. And, uh, and so now you've got the page tagged, so you're able, to see, uh, you're able to see what people are doing from page to page. Um, so, you know, the, the first thing to do probably is create a, a funnel, you know, even just draw it out on paper. So what, is your, what does your sales funnel look like? Well, it's probably starts with the homepage, not necessarily, but it most likely with the homepage. And then uh, if you're trying to get people to, uh, to watch a, a, a demo, uh, you, you want to tag that page and see how many people are reading it. Or if, if, the, if the main call to action on the homepage of your application is uh, some kind of sign-up form, you want to make that your next step in the, in the funnel. And then you know the subsequent page being the, the thank you page, or uh, t if it takes you into the application, you want to build this, this funnel of pages. What, what is the what is the ideal path you want your visitors to take? And once you figure that out, you just go into Google Analytics and you actually, um, you know, you create a funnel. You tell Google Analytics what those pages are that make up your funnel. And then Google Analytics will visualize, uh, you know, that funnel for you. And you can see the drop-off. A user drop-off between every step in your funnel. And so you want to watch that over time and you want to get a sense for, well, you know, what, what's normal on your site. You might want to talk to other people who are, uh, or try to get information on the web for what's, what's typical drop-off for something similar, uh, some kind of similar application or e-commerce site to yours. Just get a, a, some kind of threshold. And, uh, and then you want to try to, you know, pick, pick a, a part in the funnel that's that you think isn't working as well as it as it should be, um, so it might be homepage to sign up form, right? And and so uh, just start there, and uh, and try to understand. You know, look at your page. A lot of this has to do with with taking the data and relating it to your page design. You you, you want to look at the homepage and say what ask the question what might be getting in the way of people going to the next step, and you know it might be a usability problem. Uh, where they can't actually find your your main call to action, that's that's not uh, not uncommon at all. It could also be your offer. Uh, what's your main? What's your value proposition? Are people getting that? And if they're not, they're probably not clicking through. So you you want to just you want to just understand your funnel, and you want to start with some point in your funnel that looks the crappiest, and try to figure out. Uh, and come up with some reasons why they might not be clicking through. And then you want to use some of these survey and feedback tools um, to help you get at why aren't people moving through. So you can ask your site visitors, right? With a, with a survey, you ask people um, you know, what they came to the site to do or what they expected to find, and then you can ask them after their visit if they managed to accomplish their task or not, uh, and why or why not. Uh, that's the nice thing okay. about, you know, does before that make sense? We, before, yeah, yeah, it does. So but before we go, jump to step two, 
I, w- I want to spend a little more time on, on step one, if that's okay. Um, first of all, I, that's pretty cool. Did Justin, do you even know that there's like a funnel? Yeah. Thing that you can do in Equinox? Because I use Clicky, um, and I, I don't know. I, apparently, I haven't either used it enough to know what features are available or, or it either it doesn't have that. But So does, are, do all of these, the, the analytics tools that you mentioned, have the, they all work fundamentally the same way, or what's the difference? I mean, do they all have, should, should they all have a funnel? Or do they all have a funnel feature? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, of, of all the uh, so, so the, the traditional analytics tools um, that I've used, um, some more than others, are you know, Clicky, Google Analytics, and I I, I know uh, I know a little bit about Performable and, and definitely Mixpanel as well, and, and then Crazy Egg I mentioned, but like Clicky and Google Anal- Analytics are. Um, uh, well, for, for one, they're they're pretty inexpensive to use. Google Analytics obviously is free, um, but they have a very similar uh, feature set. I think Clicky has actually got a, a bit nicer UI than Google Analytics. It's it's really easy to set up and use. It's got a great dashboard view. And and Clicky, one of the big differences between Clicky and Google Analytics is that Google Analytics has a delay in the data uh, display, so it collects data on your site, but you don't see it for at least a few hours. So if you get a, a, a big hit on on Dig or, or Reddit or something like that or Hacker News you're not going to see that spike in traffic for a few hours. And so it, it kind of makes things a little more difficult if you want to take action based on that. Whereas Clicky right. has real-time uh, reporting, and, uh, and, and which, is, which is really a nice feature. I'm not sure if Clicky has a funnel tool. I, I, I don't think I've used that feature in Clicky, but Google Analytics definitely does. And, uh, you know, there's even reverse funnel analysis in Performable. Uh, where you can is there any reason not to uh, not to run clicky and Google Analytics at the same time I, I don't think it, it's going to add unnecessary overhead you know it, it, like it shouldn't affect your users um, and I and I know that a lot of people probably do and do uh, run them simultaneously uh, and even you know uh, Omniture site catalyst I know is used often in, in tandem with Google Analytics uh, so it, it, and all these tools report slightly differently. They, they track visitors or unique visitors differently and sessions differently. So there's a there's usually a discrepancy in the data, but it's the trends that you're watching for. And you might just try both to get a feel for which UI you like, you know, using better. Um, they definitely again have some pros and cons. Those two tools. And the other thing is, um, yeah, what was it um, Crazy Egg? Right, no, Crazy Egg. Yeah. It it actually does like a heat map type of thing, right? Like you you actually can see what they're clicking on on an individual page. Is is that is that as opposed to just look, clicking on a link or something? Yeah, that, that's right. Um, Clicky and Google Analytics really are based on um, page views, so you get to see um, when people move from one page to another. But but uh, the problem with that is that if you've got multiple links on a page that lead to the same, or a button and a link on the same page that lead to the same, the same page, the same destination, um, Google Analytics and Clicky uh, don't do a great job of showing you which of the links people actually clicked on. So Crazy Egg, I, I believe, was created to fill that gap where it's all about, it's not about, uh, it's not a traditional analytics tool where you, you can create funnels and, and figure out conversion rates and that. It's really about a single page. Of course, you can repeat it on multiple pages on your app or your site, but it's really about seeing what people are doing on an individual page. So they've got a heat map view, so it shows you, you know, it's really, really quite cool how it, it displays the, the hotter points on your, on your page, uh, where people are clicking. They've got uh, this confetti view that shows you, like, for the diff- for different browsers where people are clicking or from which uh, search engine. If people, there's a difference in, in where people are clicking on your page based on where they're coming from. 
Um, and, and it really does let you get a sense for, well, what content on my page is most interesting to people? And what you want to do is if you've got stuff down low on your page that's getting clicked a lot, you want to move that up because you want to make it easier for your visitors to acquire those links or those, those targets. And so Crazy Egg lets you kind of move things around on your site uh, or understand how you should move things around on your site based on these heat mapping, uh, this heat mapping tool. So, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. So would you, I mean, like you mentioned before that you can sometimes use multiple analytics tools on the same site. I mean, so it sounds like you might want to use Crazy Egg with either Google Analytics or Clicky because you, you, like you said, it's, there's, there's different types of information, but they both seem important in their own ways. Yeah, and that's right. And Clicky and Google Analytics, you uh, you would typically um, have those running continuously, right, uh, 24-7. Right. And you see the trends. Crazy Egg is really about, uh, okay, I want to understand what's going on on this page. And so you, you put the code on your site, uh, and again, usually in a, a global file, and, and then you go into the Crazy Egg dashboard, and you can set up a test just on a single page and say, I want to I collect 5,000 visits on this page and see where everybody's clicking. And so it's kind of a, a time-bound experiment. You want to just get, at, at that point in time, what people are doing, and when it hits 5,000 visits to that page, the test stops. You go in, you look at the heat map, and you try to figure out what you could do to, to improve the page. So Crazy Egg is very different from the traditional analytics tools. It's, it's more for that, you know, that single experiment. Let's, let's take a look what's happening on this page. Um, what about Mixpanel? That's another one you mentioned. Yeah, Mixpanel is uh, is um, is definitely an interesting uh, application. They, they uh, really they they focus more on event tracking. So whereas Clicky and Google Analytics really again it's about page analytics. So where people are going page to page, Mixpanel uh, I think is, was built or designed to uh, to really focus on events. So it's great for applications. Um, so if you want to know, you know, what, people are coming to your site and you've got some kind of music discovery tool that you built, you want to see what, what music people are searching for, what music people are playing, uh, how they're using your filters for selecting genres or artists. Um, those are all events, and, and, and Mixpanel is very good for tracking those events. It's also real-time uh, data that, that it provides. Um, but the, uh, it, there's a free account, but it's definitely more, uh, I guess I would call it more upscale. You, you, they've definitely got a number of paid plans and it goes up to, uh, you know, sixteen hundred a month. I think on their on their uh, their top plan, depending on how many events you want to uh, to track, right? Yeah, and performable is expensive too in that way, right? I mean, their low their entry pricing is, I don't know, what was it, a couple hundred dollars? Justin, do you remember? That's right. What? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh, yeah two hundred dollars I think and and I, I um, listened to the show where you, you spoke with was it David Cancel is that right from Performer? that's right yeah yeah mm -hmm. he he, uh, he talked about the, uh, the the pricing strategy and it's so interesting and kind of exciting to hear that they got to raise their prices a number of times but but I think yeah, to to David's point they're really they're trying to compete with Omnisure Site Catalyst which which I've used on my day job a lot and and uh, so Site Catalyst is is very pricey and Performable is a really reasonable uh, extremely reasonable alternative cost wise to Omniture's tool set. Um, but when you put it against uh, Clicky and Google Analytics, of course, it looks expensive because Google Analytics is free and Clicky has a you know, $20 a month plan. But it's a, it's, a, it's a really nice tool if you're in a position to spend uh, a, little bit money, a little bit of money on your analytics. Right, right. Um, so, okay, so just to kind of recap on analytics. So you would use Google Analytics and Clicky to just get an overall sense of your funnel. And you'd use Crazy Egg as a uh, as a time bound experiment to get a little better 
a finer tuned understanding of some of the behavior, what they're particularly clicking on. So if you have a link and a one or two buttons on your page that are all have like sign up for free account kind of thing, you can see which one they're clicking on, for instance. That would be That's exactly right. Easy yeah. help with. And um and and uh, and uh, mix panel is more for event based um analytics. So if they if they're if they have like searches or you said like sort of more I guess more of an Ajaxy interface, is that right? Yeah, and it's really the uh, the way they they built their tool, you know, to focus on on tracking events. It's just it becomes it's a lot more intuitive to figure uh, mixed panel out when you when you have an application, right? When you built a web application, uh, it, you know, a web app is 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 different than just. A, a content or e-commerce website. Um, you just you think about it differently. It's 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 uh, it's an application, right? It's like traditional software. And so they've built their tool to allow you to see what how people are using different aspects of your of your software uh, versus just. Yeah. I should probably be using that on Plugio rather than Google Analytics. Then Plugio is my my basically web-based Twitter client, but it's a lot like a desktop client. Absolutely. I think that, um, I mean, you know, Justin, I would experiment, uh, you know, all of these tools have uh, free trials and I would experiment. I will always encourage people to experiment and see um, what works for you. I mean, Google Analytics is super flexible, but it's it not the most engaging UI. And so if you're, if aesthetics are important to you, it, it, I don't think it's going to, it's not going to turn your crank. Um, you know, you might move more to clicky, which is a little more pleasing to the eye. And, and you know, same thing for mixed panel. I, I do agree. It's probably a better fit for Plugio, um, but 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 good just to try and, and confirm that. Yeah. So uh, now, performable, as you mentioned, is is a is a more expensive, higher end uh, analytic uh, analytic tool than the other four. Does it do um, all, the same thing as any one or two of them, or does it do the same as all of them, or, or what? Or does it just do a really good job of of say what Google Analytics and Clicky do? Mm. So yeah, performable is uh, it definitely has the, the the baseline, the foundation in place uh, to compete with uh, you know the free tools and the inexpensive tools like Clicky and Google Analytics, um, but they've built on that. So uh, performable has a heavy uh, emphasis on revenue tracking, so allowing you to see where your where your revenue is coming from. They've got a, a very cool uh, lifetime uh, customer view that shows you how well you're retaining uh, your customers. Um, they have a, um, a content management tool even for creating and optimizing landing pages, and they've got you know reverse funnel analysis. So it's just there's a there's a it's a real premium tool. They've got they've got some fantastic features, and if that's uh, if you're if you're generating revenue from your uh, your web application or your startup, uh, it, it's it's you, you probably want to move more upscale to something like a performable. Uh, but you know, Clicky and Google Analytics get let you get. Uh, you know, get into optimization if you don't have the budget for it. What do you use in Intuit? Um, so we, uh, yeah, we do use, uh, we, we spend a little bit of money with Omniture. So we've got uh, Omniture Site Catalyst for our analytics tool. And, and we use Test and Target, which is Omniture's um, A-B testing tool. That's that Offermatica that uh, was acquired by Omniture. They turned it into something called Test and Target. Uh, so, so we use Omniture Suite, and, and we use that across into it. So, you know, we're an 8,000, 8,500-person company uh, with a lot of needs for optimizing websites, uh, dozens and dozens of websites. So, you know, we, we definitely spend, um, we invest in those tools. But we, we have used Google Analytics at Intuit in the past, and I think some sites may still do that. So, yeah. But let's just put it this way. You're not on the 1995 plan. 
Nobody, you know, nobody complains when when we can get great data and we and you know a, a VPS how much money we spent on the, you know our data collection and and we say well it was like you know two hundred forty bucks for the year. Uh, nobody looks down on that. Uh, you know, everybody gets that. There's a lot of great tools out there, and you don't have to spend a lot to to get a lot. Um, but there there definitely are times when you need to get more advanced with your analytics, and and a, and a company like Performable understands that uh, they offer those advanced tools, but they they charge for it as well. All right. Well, that's okay. That sounds like a really good um, a recap or a, a really good overview of the analytics of step one uh, in the um, analysis and, and testing. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, or optimization call it? process. Yeah, the optimization process, right? So step one is analytics. Um, and step two, which is survey and feedback, um, you listed five tools, um, Feedback Army, 5secondtest.com, iPerceptions, 4Q, Kiss Insights, and UserTesting.com. And so let's do the same thing with, with the survey and feedback tools. You know, to give us a little more in-depth discussion about what we're doing in that stage and what the different tools do. Sure. Yeah. It's it's um, again. There's this explosion of of tools uh, in the, in the last year or two. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of uh, people have the you know the idea that that uh, small companies and startups are willing to pay for uh, good data, understand how they can can make more sales with their their side of their application. So you're you're seeing a lot of new stuff coming into. Um, into play, but uh, again, it's a matter of sorting through it all. And and so, um, you know, some of these, some of the tools you mentioned, Jason, are are pure survey tools, um, like iPerceptions 4Q and Kiss Insights. Um, iPerceptions 4Q is is 4Q stands for four questions. Okay. So, and it's a free tool, and you can put it on your site. And uh, when people get to your your homepage, let's say, you're invited to participate in a really short four question survey. Um, and, but the thing is, once you agree to do that, they let you know that you're not going to answer the questions until after you're done with the site uh, because they want to understand what you came to do, um, but they also want to understand whether or not you were successful. The only way they can, you, can, you can get that information is if you ask somebody after they're done with your site. So it's kind of a cool method that they've got. So they invite you when you get there, but you answer the questions when you're done. And by doing that, too, you get a more balanced um, set of feedback because if you just ask people... Uh, afterward, like so, as they exit the site, would you like to answer a few questions? Y- you generally get more negative feedback because the people who want to tell you about their experience are typically people or they skews more to negative experiences, and so you get a lot more people kind of bitching about the experience. Whereas if you ask them up front, they don't know if they're going to have a good or bad experience. And when they opt into the survey, um, you get that balance. And when they finish up with your site, you get to hear from the people who didn't have a good experience. You get to people who, hear from people who did. Right. No, this is a this is a pop up. It's not like it emails you or something. It just it just is a little like a little light box or yeah, Ajax light box. Pop-up. It's a slide out exactly. It's a it's a, it's on entry to the site. You just plug the code into uh, to a page on your site, and uh, absolutely, it's it's an intercept. You're intercepting people as they're coming into your site and and getting their um, acceptance to participate in this quick. Uh, if Google Analytics is like the meat and potato of stage one. Would this be would would four Q be the meat and potato of stage two? Yeah, I, I think so. There's a, a number of competitors to uh, iPerceptions. There's a four C results, um, and there's also Opinion Lab, and uh, those are are I would call them more enterprise. They're, they're definitely higher up the scale in terms of cost. iPerceptions four Q was was. Uh, um, 
built out um, a fellow who used to work at Intuit, uh, Avinash Koshik, who's like the guru of, of web analytics. He's got a fantastic blog called um, Occam's Razor. And uh, Avinash helped iPerceptions build this little tool, and it really is very good. Uh, you know, you, you just ask people what they came to the site to do, um, were they successful or not, and then why or why not. And, uh, and with those few questions, you really get a good understanding of whether or not you're serving your website visitors very well. And you get to that why. Why are people not converting? Because you're just oh. asking them outright why they're not converting. What was the name of that um, software? The iPerceptions, uh, 4Q. iPerceptions, uh, okay. Yeah. Each time we say 4Q, I find it very difficult not to laugh because it does sound like an insult. <laughs> um, so uh, it's a funky little tool. I mean, it's not. It, it, this is one of the uh, interesting tools. I mean, there's a, a company behind this. So they employ, uh, I think, a fair number of people. Their UI is uh, is not great, really. Uh, when you go to the site to sign up and install the the tool, and, and the reporting engine is is uh, is quirky. But uh, but I tell you, um, in my experience, we got some extremely good uh, data out of. This uh, this fun little survey. What's the domain for it? I think if you just go to uh, iPerceptions.com. Now, you, did you say that the that iPerceptions was started by um, the guy from Intuit? What, what was his name again? Um, Avinash Koshik. He uh, so iPerceptions partnered with Avinash because Avinash had just left Intuit, and uh, I, I believe uh, ventured out to be a, a Google Analytics um, consultant. He was like an or evangelist, I should say, for okay. Google Analytics. So uh, really smart guy, and uh, and and he helped iPerceptions design this small set of questions. And so that was his. Uh, he just gave a lot of input to their product. Did Did you work with him or for him while he when he was at Intuit? Yeah, I worked with him. He was, uh, I was, you know, um, on the Canadian and UK side of the business for at Intuit, like I, I am today, and uh, and he was uh, on the US uh, team, and so we worked uh, we worked together. Yeah, to to try he, to figure out how to use analytics on our site. Yeah, was he known then to be really really good at what he did, or was it just that he came out and made a really really good name for himself, and that a lot of people in your group over at Intuit were knew the same kind of stuff? Well, we we knew uh, internally that he was a great uh, teacher, uh-huh. and uh, and so he, what he did was he, he, he I, I think obviously he knew it too, and and uh, he started his blog, and it started to grow like crazy, and so he really you know he's got a huge following, and he's written two books on analytics, uh, v- very nice easy reads, but chock full of of great information, and his blog is a. Uh, fantastic resource for anyone that wants to understand how to optimize websites. Like he focuses on surveys and, and analytics, of course. Uh, so just a, a wealth of knowledge, and he's had a lot of success. He's in high demand at conferences. So um, I'm kind of jealous, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they, he just increased his luck service area, right? He went out, and made, got went went public, and started a blog, and and got a following, and you know, just a series of steps, I guess, bootstrapped his way into into making a name for himself, I guess. He's built a huge brand, I think 42,000 plus uh, followers on his blog. And this is web analytics. It's not the sexiest uh, topic, right? So wow. he's done pretty well. Yeah. So what, okay, a couple things. You said his blog is occamsrazor.com. He really has that domain? He really does, yeah. That and, is uh, amazing. How did he get that domain? <laughs> I can never remember how to spell that bloody thing. Um, so Occam you know, is O C C A M. Yeah. Uh, as Razor, yeah. 
That's so, an amazing uh, name. good good thing for the the, the have you uh, have you tried or did you mean on Google uh, on the search engine because uh, I always misspell that. But um, right. it's it's a site to bookmark if uh, if you want to learn about analytics. And what were the two books that he wrote? Um, analytics an hour a day, and um, uh, I can't remember the title of his second one. Okay, no. uh, analytics an hour a day, and I'm sure if you search for that on, on Amazon, it will pop up or go to homesraiser.com. So, Lance, Lance, you you were speaking about um, eye perceptions 4Q and how that gives you a general sense of what's going on, but also I think um, you were also talking about finding out what was going on in a more targeted way, actually asking people more specific questions about the journey. How does that work and what tools are good for that? Sure. So uh, yeah, eye perceptions 4Q, you can definitely, um, you can definitely get to that level uh, with those questions. You can, you can ask, uh, so, so it's a free tool, so you can't customize all the questions, but um, you can customize the list of um, like user goals or user intent. So with the question that says, what were you here to do? What are you here to do? Um, you can actually say, you know, I'm here to uh, learn about X or I'm here to buy your product. You can customize that list. Um, but for really targeting, um, uh, you know, people on your site, with a very specific question, there's a, a company called Kiss Insights. Uh, you know, can, keep it simple, stupid. I think is is the capital K I S S. And uh, um, what they allow you to do is is install some code on the site. Again, you can put it throughout your site, and then you go into their dashboard. Um, they have a free account, and, and I think their most expensive uh, plan is like thirty bucks a month. You know, depending on how many questions you want to ask and how much data you want to collect, but. You can you can you can uh, choose your own questions. So people go to your um, get to a certain page in your site or get to a certain uh, page in your application. You can ask them a very specific question. You can ask them an open-ended question like what's you know what would what would help you decide to do this action you know to to sign up for an account. Or you can do true-false questions, or you can do pick-list questions where you give people checkboxes or radio buttons, a list to, to check. And, and you know, when people come to the site um, and hit that page, they get this really nice, it's pretty elegant, uh, it's really well-designed slide-out that comes up from the bottom right of your screen, and it slowly slides out, but not too slow that it's annoying. And then you see this, uh, this one question, and it's, it's hard not to notice it. Uh, and and since it's one question, you get a pretty good uh, take up rate, right? On on people who people answering your question, and so we found that that's a a, a great way to again get very targeted uh, information. So it's kind of like the equivalent of Crazy Egg on analytics. Kiss Insights is that way for the the survey and feedback tools. Um, you can just get really specific on one page and and ask that pointed question that's going to help you um, optimize your funnel. Would you do that on page by page? So as so as they went to the home page, you popped up a question, and then they moved to the next page, you popped up a question. Or would that be kind of overwhelming to them? You know, I I think it's uh, it, it, you can actually do that, and I believe there's a way for you to limit because uh, I think you know cookies drives a lot of these tools as behind uh, what's behind a lot of these tools, and I, I think you can um, manage it such that each each visitor to your site only sees. Um, one question, and it, it might be able to balance, you know, your visitors against all those questions. Um, but, but if 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 I've got that wrong, and you can't do that, then you would just put one question up for a while, you know, a couple days, and then put it on a different page, a different question, right? So, so I perceptions for Q. Those are stock. Que- those four questions are stock questions. Right. Except for that one question, which is, what did you come here to do? And you can give them a, a list of five things uh, that you want to understand. Okay. People are, yeah. And, but you're right. Aside from that, it's all, uh, uh, it's all um, hard-coded or, or you know, 
it's not it's not customizable by by and, and, and but the kiss size is the specific questions now there's a few others that you 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 mentioned are they any different user testing and feedback army and five second test yeah the 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 other tools are uh, are, are quite different they're um um, usertesting.com, I should mention, uh, is, 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 is kind of exciting as well because you, um, they have this panel of, of, uh, of people spread out across the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., I believe. And um, y- you, you sign up for this, and you basically pay $39 per user um, or per response. Um, and, and what you do is you give people, um, um, you start people out on a certain page. You can start them off on, on a search engine. You can start them off on your homepage or any page within your site. And you tell people what you want them to try to accomplish. So you give them a task. And then, or, and, and you can usually give them a, a couple of tasks because you've got about 15 minutes of their time. And then you can ask them a bunch of follow-up questions. And what they do is they send this invitation out to their user base uh, and say, you know, this client has this request. Are you interested? And if people say yes, they see your task. And they start up the app. The, the user testing has a little toolbar, and it actually records a video of them interacting with your site or your web app, and audio. So usertesting.com coaches their their panelists to like talk aloud. So as they're going to the homepage, they're saying, "Well, I'm looking. I, I you know, I, it looks like your site does this. Um, I'm going to click here and see where this goes because this is you know the path that I, I would probably take." And and they go to the next page and talk through that, and you get to you get to see their behavior and you get to hear what they have to say about their behavior. Sometimes they conflict. Sometimes they say, oh, this is pretty easy, but you can see them struggling. You can, it, their, their mouse, it tracks their mouse. So you can actually see how much they're moving their mouse around. And, and it's a lot of fun for 39 bucks, I think, to see somebody actually use your site. You're looking over their shoulder and listening in and, and you know, it's, it's powerful. It sounds a lot like Microsoft's usability lab. It wasn't Microsoft was, I think they were pretty well known for that. They would bring people in and they'd almost like behind like one way mirrors or whatever they call them. Like, uh, they would, you know, be watching people and, and analyzing them and or even videotaping them as they're trying to use the product to get a really good understanding of, of the usability issues. Yeah, exactly right. That's exactly right. And so, I mean, most large companies have, software companies have a usability lab and Intuit does as well, a number of labs. And uh, you're right, it's the, it's the, uh, the two-way mirror and uh, um, people, you know, you have your, your business stakeholders behind the mirror and you, you're, they're watching uh, a customer interact with your site or your, your application and, and there's a moderator that asks questions and asks people to accomplish stuff on your site. And, but, but the lab time and the moderator time, I mean, it's easy to, to clear. 10,000 bucks in terms of cost to run that kind of a test. So usertesting.com does it remotely. It's remote usability testing and it's 39 per user. So if you want, you know, five users, which is usually enough to get a good sense for how people are are using your site, uh, that's what, 200 bucks. And I, and I think it's $200 well spent to see, see, see them use it. Okay. Well, let me ask you a question about that. Okay. Well, first of all, who are the people that are, that you said they're panelists that usertesting.com have their, has their own panelists. Is that right? Yeah. Now, who are they? Are they people who work for user it, testing? It's people or? like you and me who are just basically contracting for, for, on a job-by-job basis. So they're professional website testers in a sense. Well, they, they, I think usertesting.com tries not to cultivate professional testers. And, and the way that these companies do it is by not paying very much. Um, so, you know, if you want to cultivate professional testers, you, you, you pay them a decent amount. But 
I think that the average user gets just a few bucks. And so I think they've used, you know, PPC ads and they might uh, advertise on various portals. You know, if you, if you want to make, uh, if, if you'd like to give your feedback on, on websites and, and earn, earn a little bit of money, you know, click here and it takes you to their, their test, uh, usertesting.com and they could sign up as a panelist. So it's, it's a pretty broad range of people. I think usertesting.com does skew more to people who kind of know the web because when you hear them talking about checkout forms and that, you, you, there's some clues usually that people have gone through a lot of checkout forms before and, and that's okay, but I think it, it's good to know ahead of time that um, it, it, it might, you might be skewing more toward more experienced users than like novice users, right? Well, I was just going back to the survey thing. Um, there's, there's two things that I wanted to finish up with the survey thing, Jason. Well, okay, just let me, let me ask about user testing. One more thing about that before, okay. we, before we move on. The, is there a way to segment? So let's say that you have a particular demographic that your site is at going after. Yeah. Do you have a way of specifying that, that demographic? I mean, let's say that you're going after you know, designers, for yeah. instance, right? Or you're going after business analysts or whatever. I mean, is there a way of specifying, like, you know, I don't really care what uh, a coder thinks, or I don't really care what a non-technical person thinks. I only care what this, this category of person, or at least how, the people who would describe them as such. Um, yeah, it's true enough. And so they do give the option to do that. So you can specify uh, age, uh, gender, um, country, like I say, you can say, you know, U.S. only participants. Um, and then there's an open end there that, that says, like, uh, you can give the, the, uh, the guidance in the invitation that goes out to their user base, their panelists, that says, you know, only take this test if, for example, you're, you, 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 would, be, um, you would actually want to try, um, you know, tax software, preparing your taxes using tax software and and that can weed people out so you can get to that that target you, it doesn't let allow you to get right down to you know income levels and amount of hours they spend online it's it's pretty basic stuff but uh, you can you can get more targeted but if you say like oh only take this if you're an oncologist or something you, you're never going to get your data because the, the their panelists right. uh, well, just doesn't have uh, oncologists right because I was, I was just thinking like for instance in Justin's uh, case with plugio I mean he's going after marketing professionals and he in some ways he would only really care what people in that area would think and it, i'm sure spending a lot of money on people who don't even use twitter very much or whatever would be sort of just a waste of money i would think yeah i i, I think that uh there's there, probably better ways to 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 uncover the whys behind user behavior than than user testing.com for for plugio i i agree i don't think you're going to get the the right audience or you're going you're to have to wait a long time before um somebody takes that test for you yeah so just going back to um step number two and we were talking about the survey tools um if let's say for example you wanted to do you had a pricing page could you do something like have a survey that said, do you think this is the right price? Or is that is, is there certain kind of things that just doesn't work with, with that kind of survey system? Well, I mean, yes, surveys, I mean, there are a lot of people employed uh, in, in the market research business, right? That, that they're trained in it and they, they you know, they pay, the good ones are paid really well because there's, a, there's definitely an art to this. You don't want to ask questions that are too leading, um, uh, you know, for obvious reasons because you're, you're not going to get good data back. Uh, so you've got to figure out the right way to ask questions. So you, if you've got a page, a pricing page, you've got to figure out the right way to ask that question so that you're just you're not leading people to the answer um but you're actually opening is there a way to do it i mean is there a way to find out what people think the price of the product should be in general via surveys or is that something that's not possible 
Well, I, I, I do think that you can ask questions like, um, you know, uh, pl- please, you know, l- let us know your thoughts on our pricing structure. You know, um, you know, we get into the how, hows and what's um, instead of just do you think X, right? That's the worst way to ask the question because uh, you're planting X in their mind when you say that. Um, but but just, just opening it up to getting people's feedback, you know, what are your thoughts on uh, is, is generally a – a better way to uh, to uncover insights about your pricing than that's interesting. So that's a huge aspect of this is basically how you ask the question in the first place. Yeah, and when you if we get into the uh, if we have time to talk about testing um, on the show, uh, it, it's the same thing. Go the same thing goes there. You, you got to put um, some thought into what you're going to test uh, because you can do you can test anything, but you're not going to get anything. Uh, you're not going to get useful stuff if if you're not um, smart about what you're choosing to test. Just like if you ask the wrong question, you've kind of wasted um, the the user's time and you're not going to be able to use the data. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the big um, aspects of the, the study of statistics, which is how to create surveys that are unbiased. And it's not at all a trivial uh, thing. So Yeah, you can um, get led down the wrong path completely, right, if you ask the wrong questions. Yeah, Absolutely. So are the, are the other tools, the feedback, Army, and 5secondtest.com, uh, which you listen to, are those, do those do things different than the other tools? Um, well, f- feedback army uh, is is kind of a, a, a simple ver- a simple way to get some quick feedback. You can uh, it's based on Amazon's Mechanical Turk service. You know the the you know you you hire from this service to to, to do um, uh, well a, a, really anything you want. I think yeah um, sure. Right, getting feedback, and, and so Feedback Army uses the Mechanical Turk service um, to just you can send out a question, uh, a number of questions, say three, four, five questions about your site or application, and for fifteen bucks you get ten responses back. Right, so it's a fast way to get some quick feedback. You ask people, you're not you're not observing people doing anything on your site. You just you're just you know telling them the name of your site and asking a question like where would you click if or what do you think this site is about or what's your you know first impressions of this site. So it really relies on people's opinion, which is okay if you're doing it early on in the design of your website or your web application, just to get that quick feedback. But beyond that, um, you wouldn't, you wouldn't. It just doesn't have the same um, benefits as as watching users use your site. So it's it's a quick hit and it's really well priced. And uh, and the same thing for five second test. You can get uh, you know users first impressions of your homepage or a landing page. Like uh, you just. You can actually uh, there's a karma system on fivesecondtest.com I believe where um, you can you can take tests to earn tests so if you're a website owner you can give feedback on a number of other home pages and then you have the right to you know put out your own test and get feedback on it but basically they flash you a, a page for five seconds and then you are uh, asked to you know talk about what you remember um, the site if you if you get the purpose of the site and so again it's a hmm. it's a quick, quick easy way to, to get some feedback. What yeah. would be the equivalent of of Performable, because we, we said that Google Analytics is the, is the low end and performable being the high end. Of course, there's Omniture, which is just you know out of uh, most people's reach. Yeah. Um, so what would be the equivalent of performable in this space, this kind of user survey space? iPerceptions has a, a paid, uh, a, you know, a full service solution. It's a, it's a platform for surveys. So that that's one. Um, and I mentioned um, 4C results, F-O-R-S-E-E results. Um, uh, is another option that's uh, you know really a paid solution that companies would would, would look at, and uh, same thing goes for Opinion Lab, um, and Opinion Lab uh, 
yeah, they're all, I guess you would say, the equivalent of, uh, of performable on the, on the survey side. So stage three in the testing and optimization um, process is, are, are, you know, are the testing tools. And you listed five, uh, Google Website Optimizer, Optimizely, Sumo Optimize, Unbounce, and Visual Website Optimizer. And um, Justin, you've actually started using Visual Website Optimizer, so you have some familiarity with it. So why don't you just uh, yeah, let's do this? Let's go through the same process uh, on step three. Just before we do that, um, I've forgotten why we do we do step three after step two. Could we have a quick recap? <laughs> <laughs> for you, Justin, sure. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, the, the whole process, um, how can you tell I'm Canadian? I, I think I should be saying process on your show, but uh, it's, um, it's, it's about optimizing. And so it's, the last step is about um, trying to change user behavior. But you can't, you can't try to change their behavior unless you know what they're doing and why they're doing it. Just, uh, yeah, yeah, otherwise, right. it's, so it's, it's a logical flow from step one to step three. And right. once, you get, once you're through the first two steps, um, which can take a little while, then you're ready to test. If you try to do it before step one and step two, you're probably not going to get great results. It's really funny. I mean, of all the people we've spoken to, we no one's mentioned the the user survey and the trying to understand why people are doing what they do. And we've spoken to a few people about this stuff at this stage. Well, it just so, shows you very few people know everything, right? Everybody yeah. knows. Everybody has their little areas of expertise, but there's so many pieces to the puzzle. And of course, not all rules are like 100, percent you know, absolute. So I guess you you can still build a profitable business without doing the step two thing here right but it, this is just helpful yeah exactly it's it but if you're trying to get again to, to that bullseye on the dartboard and 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 because uh, you know if not optimizing you, you you can still be successful but you're probably leaving money on the table so if you're if you're really if you've got a data-driven team uh it's it's not complicated to get this data and pull it together and run some good tests so uh you know i've been part of at least a couple of hundred tests and so it's just uh, you know we've learn what works and what doesn't work as well. It's not that skipping step two gets you nowhere and you might as well forget about everything. It's not like that. It's, it's more like if you want to be, uh, have the best chance of success, you go through and collect your data and understand what's happening before you try to change it. That's all. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so let's talk about the tools. Sure. So, um, well, Google Website Optimizer, uh, obviously free, and uh, it's it's really a capable tool. You can do A, B, and multivariate tests. And I don't know, do you want me to just spend a second differentiating between those two? Because I absolutely sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, an A, B test uh, is, is, I mean, the name is is pretty apt. It's it's you take a page on your site, uh, and that's A. And then you create a, a different version of that page, and you can change one thing, you can change ten things, you can change the layout, the, all the copy, whatever. You can change whatever you want, and that's version B. And what you're doing is you're you're using one of these tools to channel traffic into some into version A, some into version B. You typically do 50-50, and the tool randomly assigns people to either version A or version B, and then you simply pick a conversion. Uh, goal like you know how many people are are buying from this site who saw version A versus version B or how many people were just clicking through to the next page on version A versus version B and and then you pick the best of the the two pages and you run with that and you optimize on that multivariate tests 
are a, a little more complicated, but they're really powerful. Um, you're, what you're doing is you're taking a page, say a home page, and you're saying, okay, let's identify a section of this page. Let's say the headline. And let's identify a second section. Maybe it's the it's the uh, image or, or you know of of the uh, of your of your a screenshot of your your app. And what you're doing, you're saying, okay, let's take those two parts of your homepage, and you're going to run different uh, variations of your headline. So let's say you've got three different headlines you're going to test, and you've got three different screenshots. And what the tool will do, if it's, ca if it's capable of doing a multivariate test, it will alternate and create all of the different combinations of the three headlines and three screenshots, and it'll tell you what the best combination is of those two, and it'll also tell you which of those two elements is most responsible for your conversion, your, your higher conversion. Is it the headline that influences conversion the most, or is it your screenshot? And that's really powerful to know. The downside to multivariate tests is that y y it takes a lot more traffic because you think about all the different combinations. It takes a lot more traffic to get data in, you know, uh, in those say six combinations versus just two pages. It's got page A, page B, uh, you know, and that's uh, um, you're kind of creating an, an A, B, C, D, E, F page with that multivariate test. So you've already got to have the traffic, and you've got to be a big enough site to basically run multi, you know, sensible multivariate tests. That's well, yeah, exactly. you've, you've done more than half it. I mean, you've you've got a small fraction of it, right? Because in order to have the same number of people end up in each bucket, right, it's just going to be yeah. divided by the number of the combinations. So, um, you know, do you have an idea? Do you have is there any sort of heuristic for for how many visitors or users or are you need for a multivariate mm. versus a you know? I mean, for, I guess you probably yeah. measure it per per bucket, right? Like you need like what at least. 10 people per bucket or something like that? Would be yeah, if you, if you think about a bucket as your, you say your conversion goal, so your number of sales or your number of signups, um, you generally want at least 100 signups per cell or per bucket. So right. if you've got an A-B test, just, just two pages, you want a couple of, uh, you want a, a couple hundred signups in total, um, uh, you know, and, and, and you get to see the, which of the two pages ends up with more of those 200. If you've got a, a, a multivariate test with two variables, uh, the, the headline and the, and the screen Screenshot, and you've got three versions of each. Um, you would you would still want uh, at least a hundred um, signups or sales per bucket. So you need to have about six hundred plus there. So yeah. Just to just to go back to the AB. So you're saying you need a couple of hundred, <clears throat> but if the conversion ratio is something like five percent per page, then it's like we, we, you need thousands of people, kind of thing. Yes, um, you, you could, and that's why uh, you know, and and some people would choose not to make a sale as their conversion metric. They might want to use a micro conversion. Uh, so that means okay, because you, if you don't get enough sales, if you're just a startup, you're not getting enough sales to, to really get that data, that volume of data. Then make the conversion goal, clicking through to the next step in your funnel, and then you're sure to get um, more people who who meet that criteria, who end up going that far. Um, but but you, you definitely need to have some traffic on your site um, really to do any of these things. You need traffic on the site to do analytics. You, you need traffic to, to do the surveys and you definitely need it for the, the testing. Um, so if you're starting from scratch, you may have to wait a little bit until you built up um, you know, some volume in your traffic. Right. So uh, just, to, just to clarify on that. So if you have a, let's use a simple number. Let's say you have a 5% conversion. 
Okay, so one in 20 convert, and you have an A-B test, and you said you need at least 100 people to convert to whatever you're doing. I mean, maybe 5% is low, because that's actually, maybe for use of a micro-conversion, it might just be, you know, one in five convert. Is yes. that a fair number? So maybe Yeah, like 20%, 20%. go to the next page, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 20%, so one in five. So if you, need, if you need that, so then you need at least 100 people who actually convert, so then you yeah. would need 500 people total traffic to probably get the number that you need the numbers that you need for statistical significance is that is that what you're saying yes that's right and and i so so i mean this all comes down to how long your test is going to remain open right? you could sometimes if you've got great traffic uh you, you know the test only only stays open for a few days but if you if your traffic is lower you may have a test that stays open for a few weeks but th- there is another factor too besides just your conversion rate um if you're let's see let's go back to a simple version an a b test so if you're if the b version of your page is converting way higher than your a page your your default um, so your your A page is converting at 20%, and you create this unbelievable homepage that converts at double that rate. Um, obviously, you need uh, you're going to fill up that conversion bucket quicker, and and your test is going to end sooner. So there's a number of things that that uh, determine how long your test is going to take to run. And and Google, uh, if you go to Google's website optimizer page, um, they actually have a calculator, I believe, that you can use and, and plug in these variables like how much traffic you get per day, what's your conversion rate right now, what do you estimate your conversion rate could be on this test, and it'll say, well, your test is going to stay open for five days or 25 days. Uh, it's kind of hel- it's a pretty helpful tool. Is it possible to leave, lead people down the wrong path? Because if you're doing one page at a time and you're always putting in a page that's basically going to raise the conversion, maybe the next page that you did, you'd end up with something that just wasn't even really relevant, but it was just getting a much higher conversion and you were clicking a button. Would you be kind of potentially leading them in the wrong direction? Is that possible? Well, I, I think so. Uh, you know, it, it's certainly possible. Uh, you know, when you're looking at a, a page to optimize, you really shouldn't look at it just as a you know a single page. It's really a page in in some kind of a flow you would you would expect. And so, you want to again be smart about your hypothesis. And um, if you if you're you're good at at, at, if you've chosen the right conversion goal and if you've got a good hypothesis for what you want to change, you're going to take in, into consideration, you've already taken into consideration that next page and I think you're, you're not going to necessarily go down at the wrong path. Because what, what, I, what I was thinking about was, it sounded like a, a kind of random question, but what I was thinking about was sometimes there's a big difference between people who want stuff for free and people who want to buy stuff. And so you may end up doing some conversions that essentially attract a huge amount of people who want stuff for free. Um, just because that's you know they're they're being they're being attracted to that conversion goal, um, but yet so you think you're doing well, but then all of a sudden it's like oh actually none of those people are going to end up converting to paying customers because they're all the free crowd. Yeah, well, the good thing about testing though is that because it's the the tools split your 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 sample or your traffic randomly, um, it, you know that 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 factor that the people who want free is going to be split evenly across the two variations of the page. So the, the, the thing is, A-B testing is really about isolating the one thing that you've changed or, or two or three things on the page that you've changed. It, there's, no, there's no, if you run a test, one, if, if you, if, sorry, if you have a page one week and you're looking at Google Analytics and then you make a change to that page the next week and then you go measure those analytics, uh, those conversion goals, you can't say that it was the page that improved necessarily because it could be the traffic changed over that week. You could have, anything could have happened. But A-B testing keeps you honest. It, it isolates everything else out but the one thing or two things that you changed on the page 
Um, so you've, you've got that free traffic uh, going to both pages in an A-B test. And so you're going to isolate that out. And, and, and the, only, the only way you're going to see an effect of that is if on your second page you've highlighted free in a bigger way. Um, uh, you, you might see that traffic, you know, uh, you're going to see a higher conversion, but you're, you're doing that consciously. Like, you, you know when you're making free more prominent on your homepage, right? It's not something you're doing right, right. by accident, yeah. Okay, so, you know, the, why don't we get into some of the other tools then for the testing? There's a Google Website Optimizer, but then there's a few others that you mentioned. So, so yeah. So, Google Website Optimizer is uh, is uh, is powerful. It's solid. It's tested. You know, they, they spend a lot of time making sure that it, its uh, performance is good. It's really flexible, but the flexibility comes at a a cost, and that's the time spent implementing uh, the tool. Because there are a lot of um, function, there's a lot of functionality you can use with Google Website Optimizer, but it involves a lot of JavaScript workarounds. So you got to plug a lot of code into your site to get it all working. And so if you if you're you you know, if if you've got other things to do with your startup, then then just play with the testing tool. Um, you might want to look at at some of these others like Optimizely or Visual Website Optimizer that have um, a lot more functionality, uh, you know, core functionality built into the tool, and they've got some really nice WYSIWYG tools. And I know that sounds kind of uh, the development uh, world sort of eh, right WYSIWYG big deal, but but really, and I think I heard Justin say on an earlier show that he he gave it a try, and it brings up your page. And your homepage, let's say, and you can just start changing your page on the fly, and it and it it, it saves all those changes, and you can just launch the test right there. So uh, WYSIWYG is a very good thing for web testing tools, and Optimizely and Visual Website Optimizer both have excellent WYSIWYG interfaces for modifying, um, you know, one, two, or three parts of your your page. Yeah. I would um. I would kind of recommend in some ways Visual Website Optimizer because if you go to compete.com and and plug in Optimizely and Visual Website Optimizer, the growth of the Visual Website Optimizer, the growth curve is just massive compared to the Optimizely tool. I, don't, I mean, I don't know whether that's indicative of just better marketing, but I'm guessing that maybe the, the better A-B testing tool <laughs> has done yeah. the better A-B testing on their site. Well, that's interesting, Justin, because I, I haven't I hadn't looked at that, but I, I think there might be a couple of reasons for that. Now that you mention it, um, one I think uh, one key is that Optimizely actually doesn't provide multivariate testing options. Um, the, the, their workaround is you're going to have to set up multiple versions of your of your page. Um, and sort of create all those variations manually. So if you want to change three headlines and three screenshots, you're going to have to create version A, B, C, D, E, F, right, manually. Right. But Visual Website Optimizer um, as, as a built-in multivariate tool, and so you just you just go and you quickly change the th- three headlines, and then you go and give it three screenshots, and it builds all the combinations and tracks all that stuff. So it's more powerful for multivariate testing, website optimi- Visual Website Optimizer, and uh, and also, I think that um, uh, Paris Chopra is his name. He's the uh, founder, uh, co-founder of Visual Website Optimizer. He's out there blogging a lot. He's kind of like Avinash Koshik in the testing world. He's he's everywhere on Quora, and uh, he writes a great blog. And he actually supports customers very well. So when you have a problem with Visual Website Optimizer, Paris uh, typically responds, and uh, right. he's super helpful. So I, I have a feeling those things are feeding into that that uh, traffic difference. Interesting. Cool. And then you said there's a Sumo Optimize and Unbounce are, are, are two other example are two other tools. Uh, do they do anything differently than Optimizely and um, and Visual Website Optimizer? 
Well, Sumo Optimized, I think, is, is a pretty new entrant to the space, and so it's it's coming along. It's definitely not as polished as uh, as Optimizely or a Visual Website Optimizer or even Google's tool, um, but it's it's got some uh, good potential. It's just it's not quite there yet, in, in, you know, in my opinion. And Unbounce is uh, it's not really a peer testing uh, tool. It's a uh, it's it's an application that lets you create um, landing pages, um, you know, using a um, a visual interface you can you can quickly build a landing page and then do a b testing on that page so it's it's not it's not a peer testing tool it's targeting you know i think marketing people at uh, at companies that don't want to involve i t in building web web pages and they've mm-hmm. got a fantastic solution for for that uh, for that that target market but it's um a, again not as focused on testing as as those other three so it sounds like Visual Website Optimizer is the kind of the one to go with um, if you were just picking one out of a hat um, for for stage three, right? I mean, it's got a, it's a reasonable enough price at, at forty nine buck a month. It's forty forty nine dollars a yeah. month, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah I think not- they have a thirty day trial up to like a thousand visitors to your test, and and uh, that's right for forty nine dollars. And um, yeah, I, honestly, I can't. I've used it uh, a fair bit. I can't find much to. Uh, complain about it's it's got like you know a nice thing about visual website optimizer it's got like some heat maps and click maps built in mm-hmm. kind of like crazy egg so that's uh, pretty cool and you can even track conversions across multiple domains which is um which is a pretty innovative feature as well because cookies first party cookies don't work um, you, you can't track a, a visitor easily from one web, web domain to the next, but using third-party cookies, uh, they figured out a way to do that, and uh, it solves a, a problem that's existed for a while. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool application. Cool. Now, you say you, you, you listed a, something in, an, in the email you sent me. You said marketing experiments model for conversion, and you had this sort of like an equation for, yes. for that. Now, could you maybe explain that? Yeah, so I mean, marketing experiments is a company. Uh, it's kind of like a, a a lab, I guess, and they uh, they they run a lot of experiments uh, and do a lot of tests on sites, and then they uh, blog about the results, or they and sometimes I, I think they sell, they syndicate the the content from their tests and and uh, and sell that to uh, companies who want to pay for that, and they uh, they put on a lot of webinars, and they, there's a lot of smart people there, and they've actually developed, and, and I guess they don't call it a form. It looks kind of like a formula, but it's more of a heuristic where they break conversion down into its components. And uh, th- I think this, this is, you know, it's, it's their, their opinion what these components are, but we, we and, and in, in my sort of startup, ex- you know, playing with page 99 tests and, and other uh, small sites over time and added into it as well, we've, we've looked, we've used their heuristic and tried to create tests using it. And it works pretty well. So they break conversion down into um, into five different elements, and one is the user's motivation, and uh, the, the next one is the value proposition of your your service or product. Um, mm-hmm. Another one is the incentive that you're giving users to use your product or service. Um, the fourth one is friction. So what kind of obstacles are you putting up in people's way? So like usability obstacles. And the last one is anxiety. Uh, and that's just what people come to your site with. Like, are they going to be, uh, are they going to be scared to put a credit card in, you know, provide that online or are there other, you know, if it's a, you know, um, um, if it's something related to their health, are they going to be, uh, leery of, of, uh, taking the sites, um, you know, advice on what they should be talking to their doctor about it's any kind of anxiety that you come to the site with. And so what, what they say with this heuristic is 
the number one um, uh, driver for conversion is a user's motivation, which is something you don't have a lot of control of as, a, as the owner of a website. People come to your site with a motivation. Um, and the, the next uh, most important aspect is that value proposition. So that's the one you do have control of, right? So I know, J Justin, you've changed the value proposition of Plugio recently. And, and uh, Jason, it sounds like you're changing your value proposition for App Ignite. Um, Justin, you're moving from more just general use to business users who can save themselves a lot of time with Plugio. And, and Jason, it sounds like you're moving more toward um, you, uh, people and companies who need to get web apps built that don't want to wait for months uh, with their IT departments. And right. if, you, if, you, if you can tap into a user's motivation with a solid value proposition, you're going to get a conversion. And so what this all boils down to is some of the biggest results that I've seen in tests aren't about making a button bigger uh, or changing a button from you know, blue to red. It, the, the biggest test results I've seen are almost always about changing your value proposition. So getting, um, you know, getting that homepage headline just right so that it taps into people's motivation the most and, and, and then you get that conversion. So that's where I always recommend people spend a lot of time is on who they're targeting and what your offer is. Also, you can, you can also change the motivation of people through the marketing because, like, for example, with Plugio, beforehand I was exclusively marketing to consumers, but now I'm just totally thinking about bringing business people there. So, so those people are going to have a different motivation just by the, the very marketing aspect of who I've got there in the first place. Yeah, so you, but you're tapping into a motivation that exists for a certain audience, a certain uh, segment of your traffic, and you're just kind of like, you're unlocking that with the, your key, right? Your value proposition is the key, and you're unlocking um, it, it, tapping into that motivation. But it's kind of like, you know, um, you know the, 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 the sports store or the, uh, the, you know, the athletic shoe store doesn't motivate people to take up a sport. Um, people are motivated by I'm gaining weight. Uh, my friends and family are noticing or commenting on this, or I've got spare time and I got to get out. I want to get outdoors. That's a, a motivation kind of that comes from within. And then when they're going past the the shoe store, um, if they see a sale or something, or if they see a, a wall of shoes that's you know a lot of people are looking at these shoes or they've seen it on TV, uh, the, the value proposition of that shoe store taps into that motivation that's already there, and then you're you're likely to get a conversion. Um, you know, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's not that you're changing people's motivation, Justin, you're just finding the people who have the motivation, right? That's an intrinsic value. But you're, you're, you, what you can't adjust it, as uh, Lance uh, mentioned, is your, is the value proposition. And it's kind of interesting. It's what um, Jason Freed of uh, 37 Signals is always talking about is how important the copy is on their site. Because people spend a lot of time talking about 37 Signals design and simplicity. And he doesn't seem to care much about that he's like that's not as big a deal as the copy <laughs> is really using as few words to get as much information across and as simply as possible yeah is copy copy sells so okay the other three parts to the to the model are incentive friction and anxiety so maybe talk a little bit about those and how those play in 
Okay. Yeah. So, so once you, you know, so you, you want to understand motivation, uh, why people might be coming to your site. Um, it's not something you can easily change. So you don't have to focus much on that. Understanding it. Yes. Because you want to use your value proposition to tap into that existing motivation to make a, to make a sale or get a sign up or whatever. Um, you can also use, uh, incentives to get people to take action. So, um, there are some things you can do. I mean, you can, you can, if, if your uh, regular price of your product is, X and you can you can knock that in half and actually incent people and show people that there's a limited time offer and they can save X you know if they sign up and it's, it's incentives are pretty straightforward they've been around for a long time you can actually get people to take action by incenting them to do that um, so but but a lot of you know a lot of times it's, it's not good for your bottom line in, in, incentives typically are a cost so um, you, you, there are some other things you can do with your website or web application to try to get conversion up as well and that's reduce friction so this really is about usability. And so um, if you learn that there's a um, there's something that's getting in people's way uh, as they move through your sales, uh, your funnel of pages, uh, if there's something that, you know, through a survey people are saying, well, I, I couldn't find, you know, how to get here, that's a usability obstacle. That's friction. And you want to you wanna spend some time finding out what those obstacles are and just removing them. And by removing the obstacles, your conversion is going to go up. Right. So well, it sounds a lot. Really it sounds a lot like um, what uh, Luke Robluski talked about, which was the progressive sign-up forms. And I guess Twitter. I think I remember reading something about how Twitter used a progressive sign-up. So if you if you have somebody come in and and you, before they can even use your, use your site, they have to fill out a big form. Right. That's like yep. your worst case scenario. And the best case is you allow people to do as much as possible with the least amount of, of uh, obstacle, least amount of the fewest number of fields and, and forms to fill out. And then you maybe if you if you if there's other information you need, you can get that later in the process. Right. And so that's like an example of reducing friction. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so you're actually leading people into your application without them even really knowing it. And the, yeah, the, the worst you can do is put this major obstacle up, like we need your first name, last name, and you know, phone number. Favorite color, uh, first pet, yeah. last five addresses. <laughs> That's all friction. So guess what? If you actually, if you removed all of those, those, uh, those requests for, for their personal information, uh, it's almost certain that you're gonna, your conversion rate's going to go up. Now, you might not be able to get rid of them all because you, you actually can use some of that and it actually might help that user uh, use your application, uh, some of that information, right? But um, but you want to you want to eliminate as much of that friction as possible. And, and uh, the progressive sign up is uh, uh, or gradual engagement that Luke talks about absolutely works. And, and then, then anxiety, anxiety is, uh, yeah. yeah, and again, it's something that people are, like motivation are coming to your site with. It's the things that are in people's heads. And uh, it's good to understand um, what, what anxiety people might have about um, using your service. So, like, if you're brand new and uh, here, let's, say, let's say people come to your, the homepage of your, your, your new application and the design sucks, it's, uh, it's messy, there are spelling uh, mistakes, um, and and uh, so people are, are are obviously already have a natural sort of anxiety around who who is this person I'm considering doing business with? Are they reliable? Are they going to take my money? And uh, the more cues that are on your site that that again sort of feed that anxiety, the worse off you are. So you gotta you gotta make sure that you don't have typos on your homepage or the rest of your site. You got to make sure that things look professional and, and establish that trust. And the trust reduces the anxiety. And again, your conversion rate's going to go up. 
So, so to summarize with this, with this formula, this heuristic, understand people's motivation, create a value proposition that, that, that uh, taps into the motivation. Um, you can choose to use an incentive or not. Definitely try to reduce friction that exists on your site and try to eliminate any potential sources of anxiety. And if you do all of those things, you're going to be doing more than most companies out there um, in terms you know, of trying to optimize conversion. You know, and, and, and two of these things, one of the talk about the incentive, um, one suggestion that Rob Walling um, gave, I think, I, I can't remember if he talked about this in a blog post or if this is just a conversation that uh, J- Justin and I had with him when he was visiting recently. And he said, look, when you launch your product and you, you first you go live, you want to give like a 48-hour um, sign a deal. So anybody who signs up and, and, buy, and, and subscribes within the first 48 hours is going to get locked in at a discount or the initial price, which, will, you know, which could likely go up. And he's like, that's always huge because not only do you get money and you, you get an initial influx of cash, you incentivize people to take action at that moment. And when you're first launching, that's a huge thing is just to get any money in the door. But it it is that built-in incentive, like you like you know, it's not like you're reducing a cost. You're just you're 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 getting money in um, early, right? It's just more of a time thing. And yep. the the other thing with anxiety, which is something that I think Justin has talked about quite a bit, which is social proof, the importance of social proof. So user case studies or other companies case studies or people who leave quotes and say, Hey, I love this service. I use it. It saves me time and you know, that kind of stuff. So it's like the social proof is, you know, it's not just like, it sounds like it's not just about, you know, not having typos and and looking professional. It's about the social proof aspect of things. Yeah. There, I mean, you're talking about some of the sort of, um, there's some principles in, in uh, behavioral psychology uh, they're called persuasion principles, and uh, you mentioned a couple already. Uh, you know, trust, social proof. Um, with Rob Walling, there's a, a little bit of that has to do with scarcity. So if you know that pr- right. price is going to go up, you're more likely to act now. And there's other things like uh, reciprocity. If some if somebody does something for you, you're indebted to them, and you're going to turn around and do something for them. And and uh, right. there's authority. You know, looking to experts to uh, to, to kind of lead us down the right path. And you can. Use Use all of those principles to, uh, to, yeah, to convert more visitors. But uh, that's kind of a whole other discussion about, uh, you know, persuasion principles. But you can do some really cool things, and there are some kind of tricks you can use in, in that area. Uh, you can do mm-hmm. kind of there's a dark art to it. There's sort of like or a dark uh, sort of black hat and white hat versions of princi- uh, persuasion principles. But uh, powerful stuff. From from the discu- from the discussions that we've had, I mean, there's. There is an overwhelming number of things that you can do and, and variations that you can do and tools that you can use and strategies you can take. And for, for typical bootstrappers who are also building the software and doing everything else, um, if you could kind of break down to the kind of the core things that, that, that they should do, that everyone should do, what would they be? Yeah, so I, I I hear you. It's there's you know, bootstrappers are doing everything right. Yeah, you're, you're designing, you're building, you're you should be talking to customers, you're trying to market, and uh, it, there's a lot to do. Um, this uh, conversion optimization is I think is really important because once you improve your site, your conversion rate, 
it, it stays, right? So it's like compound interest. So if you improve it uh, with, a, with, a, with a, a good A-B test, you, you sort of lock that in. And then you're working with a new baseline for conversion. And then you try to improve that and you lock that in. So it's like the gift that keeps on giving. If you take your conversion from 2% to 4%, um, that 4% should stay around if you're not doing anything to hurt it and you just keep building. So it's, it's I, to me, so critical to spend some time on this. Now, you can, you can spend too much time on it and take away from product development which isn't a good idea. So I would say start with your homepage. Um, you know, get 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 an analyt an analytics uh, tool up and running on your site, and just take a look at how many people are are uh, moving from your homepage, you know, to the next page. Um, get a sense for that sort of fall off rate, um, and then use one of these uh, tools like Kiss Insights or Four Q, and just you know, just it, it takes ten minutes to set it up. Put it up there, and your data starts to come in, and it's kind of exciting when you start to hear back from people coming to your site, and you get some surprises in there, and and that kind of feeds, you know, it, it gives you energy. It kind of feeds your desire to to, to do more, um, and and so get some feedback with one of those tools, and then uh, set up one of these testing tools. Again, at, at, you know, with 15 minutes invested, you can get the code on on your site, and then you can quickly go in and and play with some of your homepage content, you know, your headlines or your bullets that are your your benefit statements or Play around with uh, the imagery on your uh, on your homepage, and and run a test and and see what happens. And I, and again, it's it kind of uh, it, it, when you see the test results starting to come in, it, it gets exciting, and you want to do more. And I think it's just a matter of getting started, and don't try to conquer the world or or boil the ocean. It's you know focus on your homepage, try to make it better because it's obviously a, a homepage is typically the most most traffic page you, you you have, and and there's probably the biggest opportunities there. The and, and before we wrap this up, I I, I want to just ask you two quick questions, which are kind of um, they're they're kind of part of an ongoing discussion that Jess and I have been having. One is um, the the idea of you you create a design for something is you probably and I think this is something that you, that Lance you and I talked about offline in a previous discussion, which is that you don't go and ask your friends, um, do you like it. Right, that you you test it because asking people if they like it, it gives me kind of a leading question. You're asking people who are predisposed to want to tell you something you want to hear, or even if they do like it or don't like it, and they're trying to be objective. It really has nothing to do with the conversion. I mean, is that you you know yeah. how how does that work? I mean, how do you guys how do professionals in your group how do you guys deal with that? I mean, do you do you ask each other you have to start somewhere don't you before you do any testing and i think that's the stage that you kind of decide oh do i like that or not well yeah it, there's i mean you've got to choose something to test and and uh, i mean jason what you're talking about is really um how, how much can you rely on on one or two or three persons opinions right um and and what's what's shown in market research that people are are generally terrible at predicting their behavior or the behavior of others and so when it comes to like understanding what people are doing on your site, um, yeah, asking somebody what they would do, it's not reliable. You want to see what they do. Um, and same thing goes for like, do you like this, this new part of your homepage? You know, do you like this, the new design of this homepage? It, 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 it really doesn't matter what that person has to say um, because they're, they're coming in with their own thoughts about what makes a good homepage, but there is no set of rules for what makes a good, a good homepage. And we've seen pages that are so long, it would blow your mind. Uh, they just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. And those long form copy pages can sometimes just 
um, demolish the conversion rate of a page that's you know fit all fits where the content all fits above the fold. So it's just it's just always better to put it out there and see what happens, um, see what people do, and and don't rely on uh, so much on what people. Uh, say if you got an expert in the room who's done a ton of this and who's a usability expert, who you know, sure enough, ask that person if if you think uh, if, if if they think that you know this thing you're trying to solve for looks like it might improve things. Uh, why not? But uh, the way to know for sure is to is to get it out there and watch real people interact with it and see if they're taking the action you want or not. Right? That's the the best way to do it. Right. And, and the second question I have, which, and I think this is something that Justin and I have only really talked about offline, is the idea of making either small changes or large changes when you're doing AB or multivariate testing. What are your thoughts on, I mean, is it appropriate to do large changes at first and then you start doing smaller changes as your conversion rates start to go up? And, you know, how do you, how do you approach the, 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 the process of making small and large changes? Yeah, that is that is a tough one um, because you know sometimes you, you'll take your existing homepage and you'll run a test and you'll get a great result. Let's say you get a twenty five percent lift in your conversion rate from the homepage, and you did some you know we call it a radical redesign where you really uh, threw everything out the window and started from scratch and you created this this awesome new design and it and it converts a lot better. Um, so there's a tendency once that happens to just say, well, that's it. That's the, that, that's our best homepage. And then you start to iterate on that and play with some smaller aspects of it. Maybe you'll, you'll run a multivariate test to figure out, you know, if you can tweak this or that, if you get a, a bit more lift. Um, but, but I, but I don't think that's necessarily the best way to, to do it. Um, it's great to take that conversion and try to lock it in. So, but you don't want to just start to iterate. Uh, and only do that on that page because the chances of you getting the best possible design on that first test is is the probability is really low, right? So I, I always you know recommend to you know the, the teams that I'm working with at Intuitive. Let's not forget about doing another radical redesign. Let's change it up. Let's have we learned anything new over the last six months that could inform a new test design? Let's throw. Let's throw it all out again and try it all over and uh, and see what we get. And uh, because it, it, it's it's so often that these big redesigns are where you get um, really good lift. And so if you if you if you do it once and then stop doing it, you're you're leaving money on the table. How many would you start with as a as a new kind of bootstrapper if, for the very first time when you're doing your homepage? You mean how many different test versions would you do? Yeah, how many different kind of total makeovers would you do for a like for example, when I with Blugio, I've just got one version of the homepage, and I, I don't. I've done one big change, but should should I have done like three totally different designs for this new homepage, or what do you think? Depending on how complex your homepage is, I mean, the design, the layout of the page could make a difference. Uh, but but typically, if it's a pretty straightforward, like you see, so many uh, homepages are getting much simpler now. You you see a screenshot, you see some bullet, a headline, you see some bullets, and you see a call to action. Um, I don't know that you, you necessarily need to play with the layout um, uh, really as much. I would play with the copy. So you know, if if I were you, Justin. Uh, and 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 you you've tapped into this you know this group of people who are business users. I would probably you know do a, a um, you know an A B C test um, or or you know a multivariate test on your homepage where you're just tweaking your your headline 
where you say Plugio is X, right? And and play with that copy and do five different versions of that headline, um, and see which one converts the best. And just and, and and take that learning and again lock lock that in, and uh, and go from there. I wouldn't actually play with a redesign um, on something like Plugio. I don't think you're going to get the lift you're looking for. And and redesigns and and doing visual layouts and alterations takes time. Um, and if you're not a designer, you might have to go get one. And but copy, you can write new copy, and you can try some things. And uh, you're just going to be up and running much quicker if you focus on that that main headline on your on your site and try out a few different versions. Interesting. Well, yeah. Well, th- uh, this has been a uh, information packed show. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> yeah, so I, th- I have a feeling this is the kind of show people are going to need to listen to more than once, especially if they're really trying to um, take advantage of a lot of these um, techniques and these tools. But um, I know I'm yeah, going to listen to it more than once. Yeah, this is really um, really useful. Um, you know, and actually, you know what, Lance, I almost think you should do a series of screencasts on this topic and then using some of these tools. I think that would be kind of a valuable thing to people that you could actually sell screencasts. Yeah, I, I know. I've heard you mention screencasts a little bit on the, on the last few, sh- few shows, Jason. I, uh, I'm curious about it. I, I haven't really thought about it. Um, it's, uh, it's something that, um, if, if that's something that would, uh, would resonate with people, then uh, yeah, I'm all for it. it. It sounds very interesting. I don't know. If, is there, a, is there a, an expert on screencasts out there that you guys know of? You, you know, in fact, there's a guy met, um, Mike Hartle. I had lunch with him a couple weeks ago. Um, Justin and I met him at a that Ruby uh, meetup a few weeks ago. Justin, remember? Right, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he's done very well with uh, doing a, a screencast on, uh, it's like on Rails. He wrote a book on yep. Ruby on Rails, and he also wrote, uh, there's a screencast that goes along with it. And, uh, yeah, he's a big proponent of it. So maybe we can try and get Mike on the show and he can talk to us a little bit about it. Yeah, well, that's, but, it sounds like a great idea. I know it's, there's a lot of information that we probably should have warned people to yeah, get a notepad out. But, um, <laughs> get I, your I notepads imagine. ready, folks. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys will post some of the, you guys will post some of the links uh, when, when, you, when the show goes up, I imagine. Yeah, well, we're going to have to write up a little more, um, a, a summary of some of this, uh, at least a list of, of these tools. We'll do that at the very least in the notes, in addition to our normal, the normal summary, because this stuff, uh, I know people are going to want to check all these tools out. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I just think, I think you have a lot of expertise and you do a really good job of explaining this stuff, which is not uh, really simple um, to understand. So, and I think it would be, it's important stuff for people to know. So I don't know. I think the idea of, of some screencasts would be great. And Peep Code is a site that does it for, you know, writing code. But yeah. I, don't, I don't know of anyone doing anything like this for testing and optimization. Oh, it would be huge. I mean, it would certainly be huge on, on with the whole Hacker News crowd. I mean, because the whole A-B testing and multivariate testing is just huge in its own right. So if, if there was a, a resource that you could go to to learn about the different tools and hear about, you know, hear someone talking you through it and showing you how to use them and how, how it could benefit your business, I mean, it would, it would seriously be huge. <laughs> no doubt yeah, about it. Well, especially as a series, right? It's one thing to have like, oh, there's a screencast on using website optim- Google Website Optimizer. But if it's part of like a series um, of, of video or, or screencasts about the process and you say, okay, this is going to be a 10 part series and, or 10, you, 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 maybe you just do them, you roll them out one at a time and eventually you make them, um, one long 
you know, screencasts that you sell or something, but I don't know. I don't know a lot about the screencast. But um, Lance already well, does have a have a, a side project, which is uh, yeah, uh, but it's not 99. making any money. <laughs> Thank you for the reminder, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just yeah. saying. Maybe this would be a, a really good pivot because Amy Hoy has, as we who we interviewed a couple weeks ago, is, is yeah. has become a big convert and a big fan about what she calls info products, which are ebooks and screencasts are a part of. Yeah. And even over um, doing web apps in some instances, and Mike Ardell, I, who I had, uh, who I've met, uh, and recently is just is is in the same boat. He's like, yeah. So All right, of- we get your point. That's a good. That's See, a very I good go point. On. No, I, I think we're good. Well, we we we've got two hours recorded so far. I'm not sure what the edit's going to end up like, but um, I think we should uh, we should wrap this up. Yeah, I'm about ready to fall asleep anyway. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm so tired. No, no, I'm just tired. I'm like, I'm excited and tired at the same time. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, well, um, Lance, thank you so much for yeah. coming to the show and sharing all this information and expertise with us. It's been really interesting awesome. and helpful. Yeah, it's been a blast uh, talking with you guys, and I'm looking forward to listening to uh, upcoming shows for sure. Awesome. Great. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. I got to tell you, I, I listen to you guys. I work from home, my home office, and I, I listen to you guys when I'm out on my uh, uh, elliptical uh, exerciser, uh, and it's kind of my my routine now. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to do this coming week because I'm I'm sure as hell not going to listen to myself for for an hour, an hour and a half. So I'm kind of right. I'm going to be out of luck this coming week. But well, that's that's really funny you should say that because that's that's the only show that Jason can listen to two or three times is the shows where it's just him. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, well, um, a couple of things. The first is one thing I wanted to um, say, you know, we're talking about our numbers. One, our, our initial, our, our goal, we started ha- having uh, goals for, for growing the, the, the podcast. And I, I think it was in the end of, at around the end of June, we talked to Dvorak, John C. Dvorak, who had him on as a guest. And after that podcast, we decided that we were going to try and hit 500 downloads of a discussion show within a week, a week's time. And exactly three months later, at the end of September, which was the initial goal, we hit 500. And I was like, I wonder if we can do that again. Because at that point, we were at 250, so we're going to try and double it. And, I, and I, at that time, I said, I wonder if we can double it again. Let's see if we can get 1,000 by the end of the year. And we were creeping up, getting towards like 750, 800. And I told Justin a couple weeks ago, I was like, I don't think we're going to make it. Well, as it turns out, um, we just this past episode wasn't even up five days, and it's up over like 1,050 after five days or something. So, so, so Jason, did you invite Lance on the show to tell him how great Tech Zing was? I did. I, that's exactly why. Or so, Justin, that, it's, been a great, it's, been a, it's, it's been a great show, Justin. <laughs> is there another purpose to Lance being no, on the show? I just wanted. I just. I just wanted to announce that we hit the thousand mark. That was a big goal for the show. Yeah. Yes. Of the year, it was a big. It was a big. Uh, big goal. Thousand mark. Yeah. So congratulations, guys. Thanks. Thanks. And, so now we just got to double it a few more times, and then we're right. might be on the radar. <laughs> So t- tell us a little bit about 99, what's it called? 99 tests, is it? Page 99 test? Yeah. Page 99 test.com. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really just, it, it, I mean, 
Joanna is uh, is an agented uh, writer. She's working with an agent out in New York on her first uh, young adult fiction novel. And uh, so she's been busy in the evenings. She, she and I are both very busy with our day jobs. We both work from our home offices. And in the evening, she's writing this book. And so I, I told her I, one day, one morning in July, I said, I, I'm really bored and I, I, I don't I'm getting sick and tired of just kind of waiting around all evening for you to finish writing your book. I need something to work on. So we just brainstormed some ideas, and uh, she said, well, you know, she's been doing this this thing in bookstores for years um, all through her grad school um, in creative writing, and where she goes to a bookstore and she'll just flip to page 99 in a book uh, to see how well the page or how much the page grabs her. Uh, just as a, a quick first impressions test, you know, something like, like don't judge a book by its cover, but go to page 99, read some of the content and get a feel for it. And so she said, why don't we just do a website that, based on that, on that behavior, it's this principle, it actually first, first quoted in the 1930s by this uh, author, Ford Maddox Ford, or Maddox Ford, and uh, about opening the book to page 99 and the, the quality will be revealed to you. And so we just wanted to build this little startup as a hobby, uh, let writers get some exposure and, and uh, get some feedback from real readers on the web about the quality of the writing. And that's that's how it started, and it just took us about eight weeks to get the site up, and, and we've been rolling with that ever since. There's no revenue. It's, it's, free, it's a free site, and we, but we, we have some plans to, um, to roll out some additional features and maybe make it a little more commercial than it is right now. Uh, but it's been a it's been a fun ride so far. So so it was just sort of an experiment or just a sort of a fun project or a learning project for you. It wasn't you, you didn't build it with the goal of of turning into a business. Is that right? That's exactly right. I mean, uh, Joanna and I've been talking for quite a while about you know writers and publishing, and uh, you guys probably know that the publishing world has been turned on its ear with uh, with the uh, eBooks and with the Kindle, and the prices of books is continually being pushed down as it moves from you know print to digital. And uh, so we have no illusions that writers uh, have money to spend. Uh, they don't, uh, most of them. And there are so many people who are trying to make, um, you, who love writing. They'd like to make some money at it, but they, they don't want to, they don't have a lot of money to invest in marketing themselves. And so we just, it, it, we thought it would be a, a good way to build a community of writers, again, so they could get some free feedback on their writing and uh, and then maybe build a bit of a following because if you read a page 99 from us from a writer and you like it you can actually connect with them on Twitter through our site so uh, it's just uh, just an experiment and it's been fun and and it's it's still building and uh, again we'd like to we'd like to turn it into a little bit more and, and do some more um, offer writers uh, and publishers some more tools to really help them market books um, and, and again make it more commercial and, you know, and so Okay, I, what about you doing like a, uh, a sort of Hacker News, Reddit, Dig style of voting up and down? Like people can submit their 99th page and have people vote it up and down and get points. So that would give people an, a reason to keep coming back and, and it also give people a reason to submit their stuff because if it gets to the top, you know, they might get a lot of attention and, and get some recognition. Have you, have you considered doing anything like that? Yeah, th that's actually the direction that we've uh, we wanted to take it in. I mean, right now, you go on to you can go onto the site and and uh, immediately start reading a you know a, a series of page ninety nines. You, you you read the first page and you you do vote on it. You get to uh, say whether or not you turn the page. You can give some um, open there's some open ended feedback uh, as an option there to say why or 
why you would or why you wouldn't turn the page. And then there's a question on there, a little slider lets you say how, how likely you are to actually buy the book based on what you've read. And so that all uh, goes into, um, uh, it gets tallied, and then when you click submit, you get to see how you voted, obviously, and how everybody else who's read that page has voted uh, across, and you get to read all of the open-ended comments, etc. Uh, but the thing we haven't built yet is uh, a way to kind of highlight those top pages, the top rated pages. That's just not, it's just, we're just not there yet. We haven't built that out. And, and we really do want to go there so, um, so we can start to highlight the best, right? That's, that's the goal. And, and the writers will right. get excited about that. Yeah. And, 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 you, and you yourself are writing the code? Because I think you, you mentioned that you, you know just enough PHP to be dangerous. <laughs> an email you sent? Well, to, yeah, dangerous. Uh, the there are three of us involved in page ninety nine tests. So uh, Joanna, being the uh, you know, copywriter and the person we're relying on for, uh, you know, about our market or about our audience, writers, saying that she is one. Sure. Um, and uh, Stephen Luke uh, is a fellow that we work with uh, at Intuit, and he's actually the person that's writing um, all the code. I, I, I get in there and I muck around a little bit and, and tick him off once in a while with uh, changing some stuff that he's got, and right. uh, or playing with CSS on the site. But but I'm really um, acting more as a product manager and trying to market the site uh, online in, in writing forums, and and also I'm the guy who's you know looking at the analytics and collecting feedback about how we're doing from users and customers, uh, or writers, I should say, and, and then optimizing the site. Well, so how are you doing with customers or, or users, I should say? Well, they, uh, I mean, there, there, there are two groups, right? There are writers and there are readers. And the readers uh, really enjoy looking at these single pages. It's kind of addictive. We've got a lot of great feedback around that. The one thing that they would like to do is be able to get back to one of the pages that they read uh, and see how it's doing over time. And that's that piece that, uh, you know, that's on our feature list that we haven't added yet. So we really do need to do that to to, I, I guess, round out their satisfaction level with the site. For the writers... Um, we, we, we have a lot of uh, very passionate writers uh, who are using this site and they're, they're taking the feedback and they're uploading revisions because you can just upload a revision to an existing page and then get more feedback. Um, but uh, I think the one sticking point for some writers is that they can't send their own, their friends or their family or their, their peers to their page 99. And we designed, that, designed it that way because we wanted to, them to get unbiased feedback and if you go and invite everybody who follows you on Twitter or everybody on your Facebook uh, account to your page 99, we don't think you're going to get unbiased feedback. We think it's going to be quite biased. And, and uh, so, so we make it uh, blind. When you go to the site, you have no idea. As a reader, you have no idea who wrote this page that you're reading. right? And it's not until you um, submit your feedback and then on the next page you get to see the author's name, the title of the book, if it's published or not, um, and, and where you can buy it on Amazon.com. Uh, and, and that's kind of a, a gap we're trying to bridge. How do we, how do we please the writers um, around being able to promote their page 99 without taking away our, our core, you know, the core part of the site, which is unbiased, you know, very honest feedback? Well, it's, I mean, that's, that's something that essentially you're kind of making the decision to police that, but it's something that people can police for themselves if you just, you know, when, when, when a writer signs up to the site, you just tell them, look, if you do it this way, then you're not going to actually get any good feedback. So don't send it to your fa family or whatever, you know. But fair the, enough, yeah. I mean, it, the, do you know what I'm saying? So it could it could I be do. potentially a self policing thing rather than. 
Something. And that's enforcing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, you're right, Justin. And that's uh, and that that may very well be the way we go as as we get more feedback like that. I mean, writers, writers, especially for self-published writers, right? They and and, and writers who are going to publish a, an ebook. Uh, there's not. There are so many people doing this. It's very tough to differentiate yourself or your book from the hundreds or thousands of titles that get self-published and, and e-published. And so they really do want to find a way to build a, a following of, of readers and to differentiate themselves um, on Amazon. And, and, and this might be a way to do it. So I, I, I hear you. I think it's a good idea that maybe we should move to self-policing. Yeah. Okay, I've got, I've got an idea for you. You could... Um... You could do oh, that. By the way, oh, by the way, uh, yeah. Lance, this is our unsolicited advice segment of the show. Right. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Hey, <laughs> as long as you guys promise not to try to analyze me personally and, and uncover my issues, because I listen to that show and that that just wouldn't work. We wouldn't have enough time to get into that with me. So. <laughs> no, we just analyze ahead. each other. We just yeah. <laughs> okay. What, what about what about this idea, right? Okay. So make make it completely open. Set it up for the writers. The writers can send it to their family. Now you've got it's it's page ninety nine. But if you pay a dollar, you can get page 100. And if you pay $2, you can get page 101. So you pay $1 for every new page. And then that money, you know, money talks and bullshit walks, basically. So then you'll find out. And you can also make a little bit of money through the site that way. Wait, who's paying yeah. what? Who's People paying? who are reading it. They're, they're going to pay a buck to see the next page. If they're really taken by it, a dollar for a whole other page? Yeah, a dollar for a page. Or, <laughs> I, I don't think... know, something. Okay, okay, may, maybe you fill up a wallet and they have to, you know, they, they pay 10 cents for the next page or something like that. But just some kind of monetary thing. Hey, I'm with you. I, I, you know, credits or something like that. Absolutely. We were, we were thinking of uh, doing a chapter one test as well, where a writer could upload for, you know, a very a nominal fee, upload an entire chapter and get feedback. Um, and we're still toying with that idea. But you know that there's a big difference between one page and one chapter. Some chapters are 25 pages, and readers like that they can flip through these things uh, in a genre that they follow. Like if they like uh, fantasy or science fiction, they can just keep keep uh, plugging through these page 99s. Um, but a, a whole chapter requires a lot more of an investment in, in, of time. And so, and we're not sure about that. We're going to talk to more people and find out. But that's actually, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Uh, or, or just something, something that makes it hard to see the second page. So, so basically, you start on page 99, and if you want to read more, you've got to do something difficult, like fill, fill out a difficult form or just, just something that proves that you are interested enough to make <laughs> that extra effort. <laughs> you know what? It's funny you say that because I can't remember who I was talking to just the, the other day. And I used to check IDs at the gym when I was in college. And when people would come to the gym, they'd have to show their ID, right? And otherwise they couldn't get in just to show that they were a student at the college. And if people forgot their ID, I'd be like, they'd be like, oh man, you know, I'm here. I got uh, an intramural, you know, volleyball game and I forgot my ID. And I'm like, all right, what's your ID? Right. And they'd be like, well, your ID number. And they'd be like, oh, you know, and they, sometimes they'd, they wouldn't remember. And I'd be like, all right, well, how about, all right, just do 10 push ups. <laughs> And they'd look at me like, are you, are you serious? <laughs> and I ended up saying, nah, it's fine, go ahead.